Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, Progress After Dark. I'm John Fugel saying, welcome to Tell Me Everything. We hope you are great. If you're live, we're at 866-997-4748. If you're just listening as a podcast, you can always write us at johnfugelsang.com or at the show's Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you guys as well. We love getting your tweets when we're live. We read them on the air. The more uh, vicious and cunning, uh, the more likely we'll read them. Want to remind you all, uh, if you want to have a laugh in the midst of all of this Michigas, we just did an amazing comedy special for the election in L.A. with Stephanie Miller, Frangela House Sparks, Rob Reiner joined us on stage. It is the Save Democracy Comedy Tour. It was filmed. It is a pay-per-view special, and you can watch it up until New Year's Eve. It's only 20 bucks. You can go to meathook.com slash live and look up the Stephanie Miller sexy liberal show. It's really, really funny. Sometimes these shows just are liberal pep rallies. Who needs that? Uh, what I care about is that it's a comedically solid show, and I think you'll really, really laugh hard. And Rob Reiner's great. And Glenn Kirshner's on it, too. It is a blast. Tonight, Chris Hauselt, our executive producer, is not with us. We are very, very uh, happy and blessed to have the great Sean Bertolo who does so much for this channel, uh, running the boards for us. Also, Thea Harper, our incredible associate producer, is running this thing from the Brooklyn studios. I come to you from Manhattan, and I hope you're doing well. 866-997-4748. Guys, a lot happened today. Uh, there's a lot we have to get to. Let's do a show. <laughs> so, by now you know, when the Republican Party takes over the House, there will be a new Democratic leader. After two decades, the first female Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has said today she will step down as Democratic leader. Um, kind of sad to note, the House chamber was only half full when she made the announcement. You can guess which side chose to disrespect her and not be there. Even after the recent horrific attack on her husband by a man who believes the lies of the other side, they couldn't be bothered to show up. Nancy Pelosi, whatever you think of her, will go down in history as a legislative giant, probably one of the most powerful speakers in modern U.S. history. Here, Pelosi says uh, that she's not going to seek re-election to leadership. Now we must move boldly into the future, grounded by the principles that have propelled us this far and open to fresh possibilities for the future. Scripture teaches us that for everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues, have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. She's led the Democratic caucus in both the minority and the majority for over 20 years. First woman to be Speaker of the House. And of course, she's a really good tactician 
of politics and policy, and she's a crazy good fundraiser for this party. When she took the gavel back in 2018 for her second term as speaker, she said she had planned to step down from leadership after this term. Uh, But now she said that her decision was made more complicated by the terrible assault of her husband, Paul, last month in San Francisco. And then Democrats did much better than they expected in the midterm elections, and people began asking her to stay. Chuck Schumer called on her to stay. Joe Biden asked on her to stay. He said today, history will note she is the most consequential speaker of the House of Representatives in our history. With her leading the way, you never worry about whether a bill will pass. If she says she has the votes, she has the votes every time. This is Nancy Pelosi saying that she never imagined she would go from homemaker to House Speaker. When I first came to the floor at six years old, never would I have thought that someday I would go from homemaker to House Speaker. In fact, I never... (laughs) In fact, I never intended to run for public office. Mommy and Daddy taught us through their example that public service is a noble calling and that we all have a responsibility to help others. You know, everyone's criticized Nancy Pelosi, the center, the left, the right. Everyone does it. She's used to it. I've had the great pleasure of uh, working with her a couple of times. I've done TV shows with her, and she's joined us on stage at the Stephanie Miller tour in San Francisco. Memorably, I had a really great conversation with her and her husband about the Catholic Church and policy one time that uh, really stayed with me. She does take her faith seriously. And here's the deal. For all the disappointments that everyone has with her for not being what they want her to be, it's important to remember what she has fought for. Because for a lot of folks who don't think she's been liberal enough, it's important to remember she has consistently voted for decades for gun control, for abortion rights. She opposed welfare reform. She voted against the Iraq war. At the time, she she called George W. Bush an incompetent leader. And after Barack Obama became president in 09, she helped shepherd through his $787 billion stimulus package, which arguably helped save the economy and helped us in the recovery. She played a huge role in the year-long effort to bring about the Affordable Care Act, which only passed in March 2010. Now, The ACA, for all the problems, for all the glitches, for all the shortcomings, for all the fact that it's not single payer, it gave health care to like 30 million previously uninsured Americans. And it stopped insurers from being able to deny coverage to Americans with pre-existing conditions. So, you know, her record is going to speak for itself. She'll go down in history as the fifth longest serving speaker ever when her term ends in January. Now, when she became the speaker again, Under Trump, after the last midterm in 2019, she became the first person in over 60 years to serve non-consecutive terms in the post. It's very rare to be elected to a government job and then lose it and then run for it again and get it back. Just letting you know that in case you're a bloated Adderall huffing retiree in Florida. Now, for me, her greatest achievement was how she led the resistance in the House of Representatives to Donald Trump. First off, how she dealt with the government shutdown. Remember Trump's first shutdown? Because he made this insane pledge that he'd build a border wall across thousands of miles of private and residential areas. Of course, the majority of Americans voted against this, and Trump kept trying any way he could to build his medieval wall, including looting the Treasury, looting the Pentagon budget. Nancy Pelosi united the Dems in opposition to this. And so Trump shut down the government and he promised he would keep the government closed until he got billions for his goddamn stupid, ineffective, non-existent wall. So because he shut it down, remember what she did? She would not allow Trump to have the State of the Union address in the House chambers while his government shutdown was in effect. And it was in late January. Trump finally backed down, ended the shutdown, the longest government shutdown ever, all for the wall the majority of Americans voted against. Nancy Pelosi got a lot of praise that was very deserved for how she handled that situation. I mean, 54 people have served as Speaker of the House. Sam Rayburn was the longest for 17 years. Um, The shortest was Theodore Pomeroy of New York, a Republican. He was elected for a single day in 1869 as a sign of respect. But what's interesting is that Leader Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, I can still call her that, she's not leaving the House. She will retain her House seat. She'll be the first Speaker to keep her House seat after stepping down from leadership since 1955. And she's got company right after her announcement. We heard from House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, who have served in this leadership triumvirate of power with Nancy Pelosi 
for 16 years. Now, Steny Hoyer has always been the centrist, right? Nancy Pelosi has been the more liberal from Northern California. Steny Hoyer has always been the centrist moderate from Maryland. And he announced today he's going to retire from leadership after almost two decades. He said, I believe that it is the time for me to continue my service in a different role. I have decided to not to seek elected leadership in the 118th Congress. He's been there for 41 years. And he said the same thing Pelosi did, that he wanted to step down to empower a new generation of Democrats. What do you think about that? It seems like this is the smartest possible choice. It seems like this has been in play for a long time, and they've realized, let's do this now so the new team will have two years of experience by the next national election. So right now, we can probably say one of the smartest things Nancy Pelosi did and showing her master of control of the House is she pretty much engineered what would happen after she sat down. It's all part of her ongoing strategy. Here she is again. This is uh, Speaker Pelosi saying that she's looking forward to watching the unfolding story of our nation. In this house, we begin each day with a prayer and a pledge to the flag. And every day, I am in awe of the majestic miracle that is American democracy. As we participate in a hallmark of our republic, the peaceful, orderly transition from one Congress to the next, let us consider the words of, again, President Lincoln, spoken during one of America's darkest hours. He called upon us to come together, to swell the chorus of the Union, when once again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. That, again, is the task at hand. A new day is dawning on the horizon, and I look forward, always forward, to the unfolding story of our nation, a story of light and love, of patriotism and progress, of many becoming one, and always an unfinished mission to make the dreams of today the reality of tomorrow. Thank you all. May God bless you and your families, and may God bless, continue to bless our veterans and the United States of America. Thank you all so much. So what do you think of Nancy Pelosi? What do you think her legacy will be? And most importantly, what do you think people should remember when they talk about her? She's ready to pass the torch, and the torch is being passed with no surprise to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries from the great state of New York. The new whip will be uh, Congresswoman Kimberly Clark from Massachusetts. And um, the new whip, the, I'm sorry, the new caucus chair will be Congressman Pete Aguilar from the great state of California. Now, it's the right time. I mean, she's had one of the most successful leaderships in U.S. history, and it's going to be hard for Hakeem Jeffries leading the minority when you've got this block everything, stop everything, Hunter Biden, Tourette's crowd. So I think it's great for Hakeem Jeffries. He'll have two years to work on it, because if the Democrats do retake the majority in a couple of years, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries could be the first black speaker. Now, Edward Isaac DeVere, the journalist, his friend of this show, interviewed Jeffries a couple of months ago, and he quoted Jeffries today. He said last spring, I'm a black progressive Democrat concerned with addressing racial and social and economic injustice with the fierce urgency of now. There will never be a moment where I bend the knee to hard left democratic socialism, which means he's a liberal, but he's willing to throw the Bernie crew under the bus because a lot of Democrats think that's how you get elected. And in New York State, it might be. Now that they're gone, now that they're going to be leaving the leadership, the troika we've been so used to, of Clyburn, Hoyer, and Pelosi. When you look at Jeffries, Clark, and Aguilar, the triumvirate's average age is now going from 83 to 51. And it's also awesome that Pelosi and Hoyer and Clyburn are going to still be in the House. They're going to make life that much more difficult for Kevin McCarthy. They're still going to be giving speeches. They're still going to be using the weight of their experience. They're still going to be helping the newer leadership. They asked Pelosi how she thought McCarthy would perform as Speaker, and she said, is he going to be Speaker? Are you sure about that? There's only one thing we can be sure about with our Republican friends, and that is they are now beginning the transition to all Hunter Biden all the time. Remember all that talk about crime? Remember all that talk about inflation? Remember all that talk about gas prices? I hope you enjoyed hearing Republicans talk about that because they're never going to mention them again. They had no solutions then. They have no solutions now. So get ready. Get ready for the migrant caravans, the trans women in sports, the socialism, 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 and the Hunter Biden while cutting taxes for the wealthy. That is the GOP playbook. Protection for the powerful, umbrage for the gullible. And they were pretty upfront today. 
They plan to use their new House majority to run endless Benghazi-style investigations of Hunter Biden. What does Benghazi-style mean? Well, Benghazi is when you take something and exploit it and don't actually care about getting answers, don't actually care about anybody who was hurt. You're just using something, in the case of Benghazi, the murder of four Americans, for crass political points. You don't care that there's no evidence that Joe Biden had any role in what his son was doing all the time. It's beating up on a guy whose drug addiction has been extremely public. It's beating up a guy over allegations that emails on his laptop show him trying to sell access to the White House and profit from his family name, even though, again, there's no evidence Biden had any role in what his son was doing. And there's no proof it's his laptop. It's been through many, many, many hands. And again, who cares? Who cares? Like, I support, anytime someone brings up Hunter Biden to me, I just say, oh, I support very thorough investigations into the children of all presidents. And that shuts him up. Because Jared Kushner helped cover up murder and got $2 billion for his labors. And you'll never hear a Hunter Biden troglodyte be upset about that. Now, some Republicans already know how stupid this is. They're going to try to impeach Joe Biden. They're going to have these highly politicized investigations, and it's all going to be theater. And some Republicans are afraid it's going to backfire on the party because they're trying to rebuild their credibility among the independents after doing so poorly in the midterms. Guess what? They're right. Fewer than three in 10 Americans say that Congress should focus on a presidential impeachment investigation or Hunter Biden's finances. That's a morning consult poll that just came out yesterday. But of course, they don't care. They got eyes too big for their stomach. And today they held a press conference vowing to investigate Hunter Biden's business dealings, because Republicans, struggling Americans, that's going to make your life better. Oh, yeah. Being shitty to trans children. They're going to do all these things to make your life better. Tonight on Hannity, Hunter Biden's explosive Uranium One swift boat assault on Benghazi with Obama's birth certificate. And no mention of Trump. You're not going to hear too much about Trump from these people. You're going to hear a lot about Hunter Biden. And by the way, anytime you hear anyone or see a tweet or a post of anyone talking about Hunter Biden... If it's your loved one, your cousin, your old high school friend, just ask them, hey, what, what, what are they doing about crime and inflation? Remember that? They ran on crime and inflation. What, what are they doing about that? You know what they're going to do about crime and inflation, brothers and sisters? They're going to shut down the government. They're going to try and shut down the government to end or sunset Social Security and Medicare. They're going to try and do it. They're going to demand investigations into Dr. Fauci. They're going to demand the impeachment of Joe Biden for whatever. They're going to demand we stop funding Ukraine and let Putin rape that country. And they're going to spread so many bullshit COVID-19 conspiracies. They're going to turn the Congress into a clown act. And you know what? They should let them. They will get trashed for it. Please, Republican Party, please ignore every challenge facing this country and go out there and defend Donald Trump and attack Hunter Biden and let them know that you think the most important thing facing the dying American middle class are trans girls competing in sports. Go ahead and and please wave the Hunter laptop all over if you can, because that's really what I've come to expect from the Republican Party. From Hillary Clinton's emails to Merrick Garland's Supreme Court seat to Hunter Biden's laptop, this Republican Party really knows how to enjoy themselves stolen merchandise. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
We want to know what you guys think. We are live and interactive at 866-997-4748, taking your calls all night long. And we've got a really good show tonight. Uh, Professor Corey Brettschneider will be with us. Paul is calling from New Jersey. Hello, Paul. Thanks for your patience. How's it going, John? How are you doing today? Great. How are you? Okay. Just sad to hear that Pelosi's you know, leave, uh, not doing not, not going to be speaker anymore. Hmm. I mean, not a big yes, surprise, yes. right? She's she's in her eighties now. Uh, you know, it, it it does seem like this is the smartest time if you're going to pass the torch to to do it now, so they'll have two years to be ready for the next campaign. True, but you you asked you, you asked what, what I remember her for. I mean, there's a lot of things I remember her for, but mainly the butt hurts that <laughs> these Reds got when she was doing that little sarcastic clap. On Trump when he's uh, uh, on the State of the Union and when she ripped those papers in like quarters. It's beautiful, beautiful, and how it is yeah, uh, how it infuriated people. But I thought it was beautiful oh that you get it. God, yeah. Oh that my god, that was resistance. God, think, 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 remember, remember when she did that and how much that just turned people on after this dispiriting, autocratic, fascist strongman speech, bragging and posting about himself, and she just stands yeah. up there and just tears up her Xerox copy. They were trying to prosecute her. Right-wingers were saying, oh, she's go- she should go to jail for that. It's a Xerox, you idiots. But it filled so many people's hearts with so much hope because what do people want to see? They want to see Democrats who fight back. Yes, I agree. And But it was just beautiful. It was... I was. I, I needed to sex cigarettes after after seeing the butter <laughs> that they had yeah. when that happened. I mean, you know, my fa- one of my favorite moments is after Donald Trump got his ass handed to him in the midterms in 2018, four long years yeah. ago, when Schumer and Pelosi went for their first meeting in the Oval Office. You know, and this is after the government shutdown and the border wall and all this bullshit. When they finally went after Donald Trump was humiliated and lost the Senate, she wore this coat. And the the official color of the coat is burnt orange. That's not an accident. Oh, she wore burnt orange to Trump's humiliation day. Oh, she that's the most that she is the classiest passive aggressive woman I've ever met in my life. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was a very classy passive aggression. I would agree. You know, it's it's really interesting uh, to see what's going to happen as well with her being in the House. She's not leaving. She'll still be sort of like Speaker Emeritus. And I'm sure we'll still see her playing a very, very uh, important role in the Congress. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I agree. And she's not she's not done. That's the only no. thing. That, that's, I mean, she's not done. So she'll yeah, she's she, that's a strong woman. And, and, and I love her and I love her for it, too. Yeah. And by the way, like my big thing is I just hate the ageism in this country so much. I hate the the ageism in politics. You know, if someone's not functioning well, like, I mean, you know, the, the situation with Senator Feinstein deserves to be to be reported on. Sure. But liberals were, were you know, yes. pretty awful with the ageism to, to, to Bob Dole and to and to, you know, to uh, John McCain. It goes both ways. Ageism seems to be True. the one ism that that both sides are prey to. But I'll tell you this, man. 80 is the new 60. I'm, I just saw Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney in concert. I look at this president returning 80 on Sunday. I mean, I'm thrilled that we're seeing people, octogenarians, who are out there working, contributing, creating. You're never too and old to make rocking. a difference creatively or politically or socially. And still rocking it. That's right. Yes, Amen sir. to them. Thank you so much. God bless them. Thank, Thank you, you, man. God bless you as well, Paul. Thank you very much. 866-997-4748 our number. Uh, Ivan is calling from Texas. Hello, Ivan. Good evening. Uh, hello. Uh, good evening, uh, John. I uh, hope that you, you're doing fine in, in there. Yes, sir. I hope and, you are, too. Yeah, this is my second time uh, calling your show. And uh, the reason for my call is because you know, I'm worried about uh, the Republicans uh, now re- um, uh, gain control of the House. And mm-hmm. my concern is that I could hurt um, Biden's uh, agenda. Well, and yes, they will. That's really my concern. My concern as well. I think Joe Biden's going to have a very hard time getting anything passed by the House. He's going to have to do anything he can by by uh, executive order. I think we're all very lucky that Joe Biden and the Democrats managed to pass as many bills as they did in these two years. Yeah, oh, yeah, I also, um, but... Um, I guess he's not going to have enough uh, power, the Republicans, because he's, uh, they, they've been in a very narrow win. It was. Yes, you're right. And they're not going to have I a lot of power. That. They'll have power to obstruct. And that's all they want to do. They don't actually want to do anything that's going to help non-millionaires. They're just going to obstruct. And, you know, the thing is, 
a lot of things that Joe Biden and the Democrats accomplished in the last two years are going to come into fruition in the next two. Like all of the jobs created by the PACT Act, all of the jobs created by the, um, the, the infrastructure bill. I mean, people are going to start seeing bridges and roads getting fixed in their communities. Seniors are going to start paying less for drugs because now the government and Medicare can negotiate with pharma uh, for lower drug prices. I, I really do think that when people start seeing, hey, Biden did stuff in the first two years, the Democrats are going to have a record to run on. Yeah, yes, and, uh, and also uh, in order to help Democrats to be in, uh, to be in office in, in all levels, uh, the, and the country needs more people who can uh, open uh, social, social media like on YouTube, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. uh, that's um, that's one of the ways uh, it can help uh, uh, Democrats uh, to be um, uh, uh, to be in office, uh, yes. as well as in the House and 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 the Senate. For example, let me give an example. Really quick, we got to hit a break, Mexico, Ivan. In yes, uh, in what happened in Mexico? Uh, he, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador is the actual president of Mexico, and he wants by more than uh, thirty million votes. Because people in Mexico have been paying uh, attention, have been well informed in the social media, not mm-hmm. in traditional media. It wasn't. It was in social media. That's right. And it could help here in the United States because um, if you watch CNN, MSNBC, or NBC, Fox News, they might coin. It's, it's not well informed. And yes. and my also my concern is that they might going to have right on their fingertips the right wing uh, radio in all yeah. in all markets always uh, in, in in all markets uh, they, they listen to much uh, right wing media and there's right. not much um, blue wing media that's 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 <sighs> well, one of my concerns I know, but we're we're trying. We're trying. Ivan, I've really got to hit a break. I'm so sorry. Our next guest is waiting in the wings, but I thank you for calling. I hope you'll call more often. We'll be right back with your calls and Professor Corey Brechneider at 866-997-4748. It's Martin Scorsese's 80th birthday, people. And it's Nancy Pelosi's day to announce her departure from the speakership. A lot of history happening all at once. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am so pleased to welcome back to the show Professor Corey Brechneider, one of our favorite guests who enriches the lives of students in the poli-sci department at Brown. This gentleman has been writing analysis of our politics for Politico, the New York Times, Time Magazine. His essential book is The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It is the best book on civics you can own or give as a gift. Also, check out Corey's Penguin Liberty Series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. It's a great pleasure to welcome you back after another boring week, Corey. Hello. I guess nothing to talk about as usual. And, uh, uh, yeah, one, one yeah. day maybe there'll be a boring week, but but I don't see it in the near future. Yeah, I think uh, Nancy Pelosi's speech got more applause breaks than Donald Trump's. Um, <laughs> it was just, yeah. you know, it was kind of nice, like realizing, oh, you know what, he's running, but we don't need her anymore to fight him. He, he's he's doing a good job himself. Yeah, we yeah. we were going live when he began that thing the other night, Corey, and initially. I told Chris, hey, let's play it and we'll just riff over it and joke about it for the first few minutes of the show. And it was so regressive and corrosive and stupid and just recycling the greatest hits. But it was like seeing Rod Stewart at the state fair being wheeled out there. It was just it it was like watching your pets die. (laughs) Um, You know, what I keep hearing, Professor, in this conventional wisdom is, oh, Trump's just doing this so he can get out of being indicted. 
that's not a thing, is it? I know that we have this made up rule that's not in the Constitution that a president can't be indicted. But where does it say a, a political candidate for office can't be indicted? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to get to that soon. But I do want to just add one thing, which is the the thing that gave me pleasure in Please. watching the announcement, watching the whatever this Mar-a-Lago announcement was, was uh, watching people trying to leave <laughs> and the guards. Oh, they wouldn't let them out. Letting them out. That, that I thought was a good symbol of, of where things are. Oh, my God, that's a good symbol of what Melania's life is like. <laughs> um, on, the, on the big question, yes, absolutely, legally and constitutionally, we talked a lot about whether a sitting president could be indicted, and there's a real debate about that. Former presidents, there's no constitutional bar to it. What there is, though, is a kind of understanding in the Justice Department that they don't want to get involved in politics, Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a real thing that, that, that I think weighs against indictments of candidates as opposed to um, people in office. It's not part of the Constitution. It's not a legal thing, but it's, it's part of the way that they think about their mission is to not affect elections. Now, I think so. I do think that, you know, if he was a, a candidate and something came up, uh, while he was a candidate for the first time, that that would weigh heavily in their decision. But what I can't believe is that they would use that principle uh, when, you know, clearly he's using running uh, in the hope, I think, of, of avoiding investigation, because all that would do, of course, is incentivize the idea that you could run and get out of, uh, you know, as a get out of jail free card, get out of indictment card. So I don't think that there's, any sensible way that, that that could make a difference in, in ongoing investigations. Okay, I, I agree, but I still don't understand this, even in theory, this whole notion that he could run for office to avoid indictment. Uh, you know, the way I see it is either he thinks he can get elected and mm. that would then uh, make him immune from consequences mm. of his actions, or, and here's the theory that's been keeping me up all night this week, Professor, he runs knowing he can't beat DeSantis, right? Knowing he's not going to have the fundraising, knowing that he still has millions of supporters, but probably not enough to win. So what if he runs and racks up some delegates and his mm. dropping out and endorsing DeSantis or whomever the winner is, yeah. is contingent on a promise of a pardon? Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. But as you well, you'll be up all I, night like me thinking I about did. that. It, <laughs> it, it just sort of crushed me as a possibility. I will say if he wins, then we are back in that debate about indicting a sitting president and he would have immunity likely for another four years, although I've taken the position that that's not in the Constitution. And although the Department of Justice says that as a policy, it's mistaken. Um, But that could potentially protect him. The problem with the pardon power and the reason why your worry is a real one is that it just is basically almost completely un limited. Now, should it be limited? Yes. Have courts misunderstood it to be an absolute power of the president, a prerogative power? Yes. Uh, But that is basically the consensus among a lot of judges and and lawyers and and, academics as well, that you can do whatever you want with it. I mean, making a deal like that sounds to me like, you know, that it, it, it just comes up against bribery, uh, extortion in a way that I would think should invalidate the pardon. The problem is that's never been done. And of course, there's this crazy precedent, which is that there's a possibility, longstanding possibility, that there was a deal made for the Nixon pardon. And of course, Mm -hmm. that was never successfully challenged. So the precedent that we have there is a really unfortunate one. And it's one of the many reasons why that transition from Nixon, really letting him get away with it, was such a disaster, and not just a disaster in that it set up the Trump presidency and the immunity, really, of a pre- that that comes from from the idea that Nixon was never indicted, um, yeah. but that it, yeah, it creates this, these crazy incentives for him to try to attain as much leverage as he can. And of course, that might I think that's fair to say that's the kind of thing he'd think about at this moment because he is so craven in the way that he sees politics and leverage and uh you know that's what he's trying to do is to hang on as as much as he can that wouldn't take care of any state indictments of course as mm-hmm. we've well, yeah. discussed but but federal uh yeah it would be a real real question yeah, i think the- he might even get away with it 
But those are the two big factors everyone has to keep in mind about all of this. Number one, he will have no immunity from state prosecution. And number two, he will never be president again. Corey, it was a bad speech. By Trump's standards, it was a bad speech. I saw all the racists, all the all the Trumpers. Nick Fuentes only gave it. Nick Fuentes gave it like one and a half Reichstags out of four. Like it was just not popular. I can't. You must have seen them. Uh, the video of these guys making the rounds, but they posted it of them. It's two guys in Trump hats kind of pretending to be Trump supporters screaming at him. Boring. You're boring. It's not from this announcement, but they, they posted it at this moment. And that is just what I kept thinking, watching this, like, Oh my God, this guy's lost even his ability to stir up hate. And just as a boring kind of pathetic man. And of course my favorite moment is, uh, you know, although, uh, I can't stand the fact that Rupert Murdoch has such control over our politics, but that the New York Post so brilliantly trolled him by uh, having this tiny headline that said basically Florida Florida retiree runs for president in a tiny font. And then I was it on page 22 or something. Page 26, not not page six, (laughs) but page 26. (laughs) That was very deliberate. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I, I found it cute at first as well until I really thought about it and realized that Rupert Murdoch probably deserves more blame for Donald Trump's first term than any other living human, with the exception of Vladimir Putin. You know, they defended. I mean, Rupert Murdoch's not so much yeah. the journal, but the New York Post and Fox News Fox. defended yeah. Donald Trump every step of the way. They endorsed him in 2016. They defended him against the impeachments. They endorsed him again in 2020 after hundreds of thousands of Americans were dead from his competence. They 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 defended him from the second impeachment after he launched the terrorist attack on the Capitol building. You know, Rupert's showing up pretty late to try and be clever and oh, cute. Yeah. Uh, and again, and I, I was I, going through all the things they wrote about him defending him over the last six years. And it's it's just been really disgusting. Sean Hannity alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Rupert's got a long way to go to to make amends. Absolutely. And, you know, let's think about the scenario in which Trump's candidates did not perform as badly as they did in these midterms. I think that uh, we might have seen a totally different world in which they were supporting this or where a world in which DeSantis wasn't a viable candidate uh, that they could really get behind. I think then you'd be, you know, having all sorts of uh, heroics around this announcement. So, yeah. yeah, by no means should we be celebrating Rupert Murdoch. I guess, too, I'd add the fact that, you know, this billionaire media um, uh, this this controller of, of right-wing media has that much power over our politics, not just the Republican Party, but, you know, all of us. Our fate is a, a really frightening fact. Yeah, and what is good, though, I think, is now Ron DeSantis can start getting the real scrutiny. You know, for so long, mm-hmm. we've heard Republicans gushing about him, and uh, Democrats terrified of him, and now I think he's going to finally start to get vetted. And I think in many ways, you know, he's coming on like George W. Bush, but he might be more of a Rick Perry. He had bad news today. As you know, Professor, um, a Florida judge, a federal judge halted a key piece of his Stop Woke Act, blocking state officials from enforcing what the judge called a positively dystopian policy. Now, now I want to stress the Stop Woke Act is completely different from the Don't Say Gay Act, which is completely disgusting. And it really is very disingenuous. This is even sleazier. Um, what do you know about what happened today? I don't know much about the judge. I believe the judge is an Obama appointee. I mean, I'll start with the Stop Woke Act. I mean, just the name alone uh, and, you know, any sort of illusion that anyone might have that this is some sort of moderate or hearkening back to traditional Republicans um, uh, like Je- Jeb Bush. Forget about it. I mean, this is Somebody who is just in the same way trying to to stir up prejudice and to and to really uh, become powerful based on on blowing up people's uh, worst hatreds. And what this act does, it's all, it's just to me like unbelievable. Is it, it denies the ability of teachers to really teach history, and and uh, yeah. it is that radical that it it, it in particular bars tying the oppression of the past to the present moment. Now, Correct. I think when you teach a students, which is you know something I've been doing my whole adult life, they want to see, of course, the connections between what they're learning and what matters at this moment. 
And great teachers know how to do that by not selling short the history, but also being honest about where we are in the current moment. And the, the idea that you ban essentially teaching the history of race in this country by, by wording this in a way that, that so limits teachers' uh, ability to, to speak the truth and to really to talk about Reconstruction after the Civil War, to talk about segregation and, and American apartheid, uh, to, to, to really limit them, denies them the ability to be teachers. So this is well, yeah. a really radical erasure of our history uh, it, it, led yeah. by this uh, future candidate. It, it really, you know, obviously is, is keeping up with the right wing racism of pretending there is no racism. And this law expands Florida's anti-discrimination laws to essentially prohibit schools from ever saying anything that might make racists feel bad. You know, any any schools from having any guilt or blame to students or employees based on race or sex, like saying white privilege, a teacher could be sued for saying a phrase like white privilege. Um, the, right. the law includes that a person should not be instructed to feel guilt, anguish or any other form of psychological distress due to their race, color, sex or national origin. In other words, how dare you make our white children feel bad about slavery? Uh, the solution to this is let's not talk about slavery and keep those Confederate memorials up. The law officially bans professors from expressing viewpoints in university classrooms. Yeah. The idea that you, that you, that you, that, that they're calling it the anti woke act. I think that the, you know, a better description of it to use a, to co-op their own terms is a, is a pro snowflake conservative snowflake. Uh, uh, law. It's really about you know, taking the feelings of people who don't want to know history and and prioritizing them over the truth. So the case, I mean, just to get into the nitty gritty of what, what's going on here, there's a challenge being brought based on the idea of free speech and the notion that students and teachers are having their uh, speech suppressed by this law. Now, what's complicated about it, and I, I'll follow it closely, and I hope we can keep talking about it, is... Yes, please. Uh, traditionally, the First Amendment doesn't really protect, certainly doesn't protect teacher speech absolutely in the way that it does citizens on the street. And the reason for that is because in cases, for instance, in which a white supremacist teacher doesn't want to teach civil rights history, <laughs> exactly the opposite of the cases that we're dealing with here... The court said repeatedly that, you know, government has to have the ability to send its own messages, to defend its own values. Mm -hmm. Now, the complication is here. What do you do when the law requires us to teach the opposite of constitutional values of equal protection to uh, deny uh, the, the, the equality of people and to instead um, perpetuate a, a false narrative in which there really was no racism in American history. It's not obvious that you can just swap the history of the First Amendment, which allows for schools to promote their own views and all of a sudden say, okay, these teachers' rights are being violated. So the litigators have a, a task before them, which is to try to figure out how to admit that teachers don't have full free speech rights in the classroom but their rights are being denied here. And one promising thing that they're saying is, well, these teachers, their professional identities are being denied. Their, their identities as history teachers and their expertise. And the same with students, that their rights to know history and to know facts are being denied. So it's not a straightforward free speech case, but it, it raises really interesting issues about what government's obligations are to us. I, I agree. I'm very curious because... The attorneys for the state did a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, and their argument was that this law prohibits teachers and professors from endorsing concepts that are spelled out in the anti-woke go-back-to-sleep law, but not, in their words, it doesn't ban descriptive historical discussion of racism in the past. Isn't that sort of a tell? Isn't that sort of like the attorneys for the state saying, hey, look, get off our back. This whole thing is just for politics. We're not really trying to stop them from teaching historical racism. Yeah, they're trying to deny what the law, I mean, common sense tells you what this law is doing, that it's trying to, to, as they would put it, ban woke history. And what do they mean by woke history? They mean teaching the history of racism in yeah. America. The idea that somehow the law doesn't encroach on the professional responsibility of teachers, I think, is ridiculous. The other thing, even in their own arguments, and I saw that 
motion to dismiss that they're they're really trying to say you can teach what you want about the past as long as you don't link it to the present well that that alone cuts into what a teacher is supposed to do that's how this discussion started teaching is all about showing how the past relates to the present so if if that's what you're banning is relating the past to the present uh, you're, you're banning doing your job as a historian that's right that's right. Hey, I have one last question for you, Professor, before we before we lose you in our final minute. Um, we just saw the Democrats uh, essentially codify marriage equality on a federal level. Um, incredible to think how far we've come in 14 years. And uh, yeah. this doesn't necessarily mean, though, that states couldn't still ban it on the state level. Correct. I have to. I've seen different things about what's in the bill. And, uh, you know, of course, there has to be we have to figure out what's going to get through the House. I take it something will get through. Um, but yeah, I think I've seen different different versions of it. Uh, one report I saw said that the bill only really protects current marriages, so it wouldn't even protect future marriages. Now, that all of this, including what you what you said, not not forcing um, states to recognize the legitimacy of gay marriage, all of that falls short of what the Constitution requires of us as of this moment, which is that every state and and nationally, we have a right of gay marriage. You know, that is part of the U.S. Constitution. So I worry about any bill and celebrating any bill that doesn't say exactly what we have, because the purpose is to protect the right to gay marriage. The great Professor Corey Brettschneider. Follow him on the socials at Brettschneider C. Corey, I can't wait to talk with you next week. We haven't even discussed the midterms yet. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. All right. See you, John. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John Fugel saying this is Progress After Dark. It is the 80th birthday of Martin Scorsese, so we always want to know, what's your top three Scorsese films, or what's your top five? We'd love to hear from you all night long. We're at 866-997-4748, still processing, of course, Twitter, which people seem to think is not going to last the weekend. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and Clyburn and Steny Hoyer vacating their leadership of the Democratic Party, and Donald Trump is here to burn the whole house down. Let's get to your calls. Mark in Canada, thanks so much for your patience on hold. Ah, Jesus, I didn't know you'd call me right away. Anyway, oh. uh, so yeah, so that whole um, last episode or last, whatever you call it, segment, mm-hmm. um, I've been listening for the last four days to uh, Thompson Highway. Now, you've got to look this up. Okay. Uh, you're going to love it. It's a uh, the Massey Lectures, M-A-F-S-E-Y, Massey Lectures, done by Thompson Highway, who is a... Um, Two-person playwright, uh, Cree, brilliant, brilliant ling- uh, linguist. Yes, speaks I don't know how many different languages, but he delineates language, humor, culture, going back to the Greeks and modern monotheism, etc. It's it's so what's the word enriching? It, it, it sounds it, it. It just ah. Huh? 
It sounds it. I, I've heard of Thompson Highway as a lecturer before, oh, but I didn't know that he was brilliant, Cree. Brilliant and writer. He, and and, and it, I didn't know that he was yeah. so holistic and just blending it all together. I mean, we have a lot of First Nations, you know, guests and activists on this show. Um, but I, and I've heard of Thompson Highway, but I didn't I didn't know that's what it was all about. I certainly well, didn't I've, know that I've he known, was funny. I've known of him for years. I've listened to a lot of his stuff. I know a lot of his plays. But uh, if I was going to narrow him down, I would say he's uh, he's a uh, he's a bridge, a philosopher bridge between ancient native cultures and modern Western culture at the same time being a two person spirit, which is just absolutely out of this world. It's just, well, I mean, look, of all, of all the areas of all the areas where indigenous people can teach modern American white people, I think talking about the nature of two spirited people is where, uh, I've known so many gay kids. I've known so many gay kids and I've known so many trans kids who have drawn and adults who've drawn so much comfort from learning about, you know, how two spirit people are viewed and how they're revered and honored in indigenous culture. How normal it is. Yep. How normal it is and how how respected it is. They're valued for what makes them different. And he, he, he slices it and dices it to the point where you actually understand where they sat at the table. Like, where two persons sit at the table, which is within a spectrum, equal. It's just, and yeah. but, but the way he, I, I don't know, he's got so much humor. This guy is absolutely hilarious. You'll well, love brilliant. him. I'll check he, him out. Yeah, but you, yeah, spend, spend a few hours on the weekend if you got the time and listen to his Massey lectures. Apparently, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's a book, there will be a book. But there's no book yet. But anyway, uh, House Great. of Anansi Press does the books. And, He's much bigger uh, in Canada, but I've heard of him. He, I've heard of him before. He's much bigger in Canada, but I will totally check him out. And uh, and thank you so much. I really appreciate the recommendation. And uh, maybe if there's still a Twitter next week, I'll try to track him down. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh-huh. Have a great evening. We're at 866-997-4748. Rich in Indiana. Thanks for your patience. Hello. Certainly. Thank you very much. I can't believe how much um, good uh, the seven circles uh, is for this conversation that I want I to share, please. Please. Um, the, the idea that here we are sitting on North America in our second, third, fourth generations as Americans and citizens, etc., and totally disregarding what 5,000 years has done to us and the way that we are hung together uh, as our, you know, our, our, our physical constitutions. Mm. A place makes a mark, and where you came from and that land is, is a signature in you Yes, as you try and exist where you are, and you basically end up being malnourished by having left where you were, um, <laughs> how to say, the, the model that you became as you, for example, I've got three out of my four grandparents from uh, the British Isles, and I don't hang on to iodine uh, at all, hardly, and it hmm. is required that it be a constant flow in my my diet for me to remain well. Hmm. And so that's what I wanted to, to bring tonight as uh, this quick explanation, because oh, man, God, I want to be quick. and I'm not quick. I'm never quick. Nope, that's okay. That's anyway, okay. Go ahead. All right. Iodine is an element in a group called the halogens. And there's three other halogens uh, that exist, and all of them are in our sustenance stream. Uh, fluoride is in the water, and chlorine is there. And okay. bromine is in our food as a preservative. Well, okay. 5,000 years ago, the only uh, halogen that I was ingesting historically in, in the meat that, I've, that I am you know, created from 5,000 years ago was iodine. Okay, there was no <laughs> there was no fluoride, there was no chlorine, and there certainly wasn't any bromine. So the idea that I'm having these other three um, halogens 
existing in my sustenance stream is confusing to the body because the body is taking them in and saying, oh, I know you, you're, oh, you're iodine. But what it's done is it's, it's being lied to by these halogens that aren't iodine. Okay. Our, our body is organized to accept the halogen. Okay. So I think by I'm not having the halogen, mm-hmm. by not having the halogen that works, the uh, the atomic weight 53 of iodine, the heavy one that works in our thyroid, we end up with a low functioning thyroid, and we don't uh. have adequate levels of thyroid hormone in our blood to do all the work in each and every cell. And when you have a a low serum level of what's called the active version of the thyroid hormone, T3, triiodothyronine, T3, if you've got low T3, there is this plethora of troubles that come your way. Okay. so what? One how do we? How, do, how does? How does? This, how, how does someone get tested? How does someone find out if they have low T threes? Okay. What do we do? I went to two different endocrinologists, and they took blood, and they looked at the the results. Uh, they call it a blood panel, and they said your your numbers are low, certainly, but you're you're within normal parameters, so you don't have a problem with uh, low functioning thyroid. And I was just expressing all of these symptoms physically that they weren't recognizing. Right. Um, there's, there's a book that is, and there's a good title for people to know. The book is called Hypothyroidism, The Unsuspected Illness. And the author was a medical doctor. His name was Broda, middle initial O, last okay. name Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S. Broda O. Barnes, M.D., Okay. Hypothyroidism, the unsuspected illness. And his book is like 40 years of his practice of recognizing people sick with a low-functioning thyroid and all the different ways it showed up. Now, you know what? I, I really thank you for bringing this up, Rich, because we don't talk about right health on. issues enough. And one of the promises I made was that after this damn midterm was over that we would do more health do more mental health do more wellness stuff here at the what the fuck o'clock show and so i thank you for reminding us folks get your thyroid looked at man learn about it rich man i gotta run but i thank you very much for the call i really do appreciate it 866-997-4748 bill in new jersey tell me everything about ron DeSantis. thanks for your patience ron DeSantis. yeah Oh, is that what was up for me? I said something else. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I thought you wanted to talk about DeSantis, but I'll take whatever you got. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to talk about woke. but Please. Um, well, I that's Ron DeSantis. Go ahead. That is true. There is a connection. But yes. um, I just wanted to say first that uh, I know we've argued about this, but I think Melania is going to leave Trump because he's going to be running out of money, and she mm. doesn't want to be buried on a miniature golf course under the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Yeah, I'd love to see it happen. It'd be it'd be great. She's you know there there is the small mitigating factor that she's evil too. But go on, please. Right. I mean that that golf course can go belly up sometime. Who's going to buy a golf course with a grave on it? I know, right? Who's going to buy a golf course with? It's it's with, like I understand, but people who have the ashes on the mantle. I'm freaked that. out that the cat's going to get up there and Uncle whoever it is is going to be all over the floor. Um, yeah, there's many reasons why it's really creepy to say nothing of the fact that Donald Trump devoted a couple years of his life to humiliating the mother of his children in public and now she's buried at the first uh-huh. hole on his golf course. It's almost like right. he's a bit of a gauche character. Almost. Well, well, I did tell you that I thought Mike Pence would be a good greeter at a mausoleum. That's true. Anyway, um, I think Mike Pence would be good at that. I think Mike Pence also maybe could maybe like like do a seminar on buying gold at the airport Radisson. I'm not sure, but he, he does have uh, several employment opportunities uh-huh. in the future. Yeah, and he'll have like a bale of gold teeth or something. Anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, taxi driver, Cape Fear, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York in that order. Right on. You kept that. We'll take a top four. Okay. So wait a second. Taxi driver, Cape Fear, Goodfellas, and Gangs of New York. Yeah. I'm, I'm of New- a taxi driver because I'm so old I saw it when it came out. 
Oh, I've seen it in the theaters. I love it. All right, that's. I mean, Gangs of New York, but not a lot of people have put Gangs of New York on their on their top uh, their top four Scorseses over you know I, Mean Streets or Raging Bull. Well, I know uh, it, it, it's got it's got some mediocre qualities, but the but uh, Daniel Day Lewis is amazing in it. Daniel Day Lewis is amazing in it. Yeah, yeah, him and uh, the production value and the, the history that you got to learn, I think, was important. I agree. But, it's uh, great looking. It's yeah. a great looking film. Yeah, that's pretty compelling. And is Cape Fear your number one? Yeah, because of the way it made me feel. It, he, he accomplished what he wanted. Which I think it's a masterpiece. I love his Cape. I, I love the original Cape Fear with Gregory Peck and 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 uh, Mitchum. But I I love Scorsese's remake. It's brilliant and filthy and scary. Oh, the first one's very good, but Scorsese's remake is just a masterpiece. It's great. Right, right. But uh, regarding woke, um, please. You know, woke didn't just happen in uh, 2010 or whenever they think it happened. It was in 1930. The term woke was um, used in the black community, and mm-hmm. and Lead Belly sang a song about it. And really? it meant what it means now is to be alert to racial prejudice and discrimination. So when, th- this is the connection, I guess, when um, Mr. Kinky Boots, uh, Florida, uh, mm-hmm. talks about anti-wokeness. Um, he's talking about racism. He's yeah. talking about being racist. You know, I mean, yeah. and and it's ridiculous. To me, it's the same thing as uh, politically incorrect, which doesn't make any sense. Why, is, you know, that's like saying being good is bad or something. Yeah, but it's, it's the same thing. Every generation, they find a new way to smear being kind. It was bleeding heart liberals, then it was politically correct, then it was social justice warriors. Now it's woke. All the things about being kind and being aware and being anti-prejudice, and they'll find a different way to smear it. I, I'm getting yelled at, Bill. we got to hit a break, but I thank you very much for the call. Pretty cool Scorsese picks. I don't know. I think, I think King of Comedy and After Hours have to be on my list. 